0: The Bible reading today comes from the Epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have the confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Friends, you may be seated. And as you sit, uh, let me encourage you to keep your your bulletins open uh, to that reading there from Hebrews chapter 10, or if you have a Bible with you this morning, and if you don't have a Bible, there's some Bibles in the pews. Uh, You can open up in your Bibles as well to Hebrews chapter 10. For I determined to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I determined to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Uh, When he wrote to the church in Corinth, that was the way that the Apostle Paul chose to summarize his ministry. Uh, If he could put it into one sentence, uh, if he could identify one central message, that was it. Uh, It was the cross of Jesus Christ. And indeed, the cross is the central event of Christianity. Christianity. As people have well noted, when archaeologists dig through the ruins of antiquity, they, they have one sure way to identify a place of Christian worship. What do they do? They look for a cross, and when they find it painted on a wall, or they find it carved into stone, or, or even worked into the, the architectural floor plan, they know that they have found a church. And the reason for that is because since the beginning, Christians have identified themselves with the cross on which Jesus died. And so whether it's, it's carved in wood or etched on our hearts, the cross is the chief symbol and defining reality of the Christian faith. And that's certainly what we've been seeing in our, our recent studies in the letter to the Hebrews. Uh, one way to think about the, the outline of Hebrews is that the, the first four chapters or so, are, they're, they're all primarily about the person of Jesus, uh, who he is as the eternal son of God who took on flesh and became the son of man. Well, from about uh, chapter 5 up to the middle of chapter 10 is largely about the work of Jesus, and specifically his work as our great high priest who through the sacrificial offering of his blood on the cross has made it possible for us to be forgiven of our sin and reconciled to God. And that's been the focus here that we've been looking at for the last many weeks as we've been studying this letter. And so then as we come to the the middle of chapter 10 here today, uh, verse 19 is really one of the major transition points in this letter. Because it's at this point in this letter that the author, author of it, he begins to... Uh, focus on applying all of those wonderful things that we've been learning about the person and work of Jesus. And as you may know, this is often how the the New Testament letters as a whole are structured. Uh, They begin with uh, doctrine, or or as we often say here, they they begin with a lot of indicative statements. uh, And then, from that doctrinal base, they draw out applications. And thus, you get a lot of imperative statements in the second half of New Testament letters, and you might think famously of uh, the Apostle Paul's ro- letter to the Romans. Uh, Romans 1 through 11 is, is in-depth teaching about w- what the gospel is, the doctrine of the gospel. But then when he gets to chapter 12, he says, therefore, brothers, uh, in view of God's mercies, in other words, in, in view of all of those things that we've, we've just been looking at about the, the gospel, here's now how you should live. And that's what's happening here uh, in Hebrews Uh, The author of this letter has been teaching us about the the glorious truth of the cross of Jesus, where Jesus' blood was spilt and and what that means in terms of the old covenant and thus now uh, what the new covenant is all about. And so he's been showing us the truth and centrality of the cross. And now as he comes to chapter 10, verse 19, he says, okay, in light of all of that we've been studying, uh, here's now how you should live. Uh, Here's how the cross of Jesus should shape your life. Uh, All of the deep doctrine that we've just been studying, uh, it should impact our lives and lead to some very definite actions that we take. And friends, that's my hope for us this morning. Uh, I hope that the wonder and the glory of the cross will shape who we are and how we interact with God and how we interact with each other. So let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to help us and to accomplish those things in our lives here this morning. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. We thank you for its clarity. Father, would you give us very humble hearts here this morning to hear and to receive your word, that it, that it would take deep root in our lives and bear lots of fruit to your glory. So we ask for your help here now as we come to your word, and we ask for it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, There's a very definite structure to our passage today that we want to follow. Again, it's Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. And so if you look at verse 19, you can see how it's uh, building off of what's come before it with the word therefore at the beginning there. Uh, Also notice the two uses of the word sense in this passage. Uh, First in verse 19, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus... And then again in verse 21, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. Right? Those two uses of the, of the word sense following the word therefore indicate that uh, verses 19 to 21 are a, a summary of the things that we've been learning in the previous chapters. And thus they're the basis for the application that he's now about to give us in verses 22 to 25. And there are three points of application. And they're, they're easy to find because each of them begins with let us. Verse 22 let us draw near. Verse 23, let us hold fast. And verse 24, let us consider how to stir one another up. Okay, so therefore, uh, since this and since this, let us do this and let us do this and let us do this. That's the structure. So let's begin by briefly looking at verses 19 to 21, which again, reminds us of all the things that we've already been studying in this letter, and then we'll spend the majority of our time looking at the three points of application that are given there in verses 22 to 25. So, verses 19 to 21. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, stop there. Okay, so this this has been the focus for many weeks now, the blood of Jesus and the high priestly work of Jesus. The result of which is that we have confidence to enter the holy places of God, that is, into the sanctuary of God, into, into the very presence of God. And so we have confidence to enter into God's presence because of the sacrificial blood of Jesus on the cross. Uh, Just like in the Old Testament, the high priest, he couldn't enter into the the Holy of Holies, uh, which is where the locus of God's presence was without the blood of an animal that had been sacrificed for the sin of the people. Well, so too, we can't enter into God's presence without the blood of a sacrifice. But what's needed to fully and finally take away the guilt of all of our sin isn't the blood of an animal, but rather the blood of the incarnate Son of God, Jesus Christ. And so it's by the blood of Jesus that we have a new and living way to enter into the presence of God. Uh, it's not like the old way, in which uh, only the high priest could go, and, and him only once a year. But, but it's, it's a new way, the, the way that's open to all of those who are relying on the blood of Jesus to cover their sins. And it's the living way. Uh, it's the person of Jesus himself, the crucified and risen Lord And it's specifically through his flesh that the way into the very presence of God has been opened to us. In fact, the author here in verse 20 compares Jesus' flesh to the curtain that used to block off the holy place from the most holy place. And I think the point of comparison here is to remind us of how when Jesus' flesh was torn on the cross, that at the same time that curtain in the temple was also torn. Uh, Thus indicating that the presence of God was now open to us because of Jesus. And so it's it's through the tearing of Jesus' flesh symbolized in that torn curtain that the way to God is now open to us. And friends, this is what Jesus, uh, our great high priest, has done for us. He is our great high priest who's who's a priest over the house of God. Uh, He sacrificed himself. Uh, He, as we we often sing, he he interposed his precious blood specifically so that we could be welcomed into God's house as God's children. And friends, in his high priestly role over the house of God, that's what Jesus continues to do every day, Uh, such that despite our ongoing sin, Jesus continues to intercede for us on the basis of his sacrifice on the cross so that we can daily have confidence to enter into God's presence. Now, again, none of this is new in Hebrews. Uh, We've been studying this for the the last several weeks, Uh, his high priestly work, his sacrifice, his blood on the cross. That's been our focus for many weeks now. So if you've been here for the last month, this isn't new material. And yet it might be worth at this point, as we come to this transition point in Hebrews, to kind kind of step back for a moment and ask yourself, do I really believe this? Do I really understand these things? Have I really grasped the significance of the cross of Jesus and just how important and central it really is? You know, have I really understood that my sin keeps me out of the presence of the Holy God, but that Jesus, as as an act of, of almost unfathomable love and grace, has borne my guilt and taken the judgment my sin deserves? and thus has opened the way for me to be forgiven of my sin and reconciled to the God who created me. Is that the central reality of my life? Uh, Maybe if you've never believed that, but you want to think more about it this morning. Maybe your interest is piqued. I hope you'll speak with someone after the service today. Any, Any member of this church, would love to speak to you about the cross of Jesus Christ. And Christian friends, we are to have confidence in the cross of Jesus and what it means. Because as we turn to the application portion of this passage, the confidence we have in Jesus and his work on the cross should and will impact our lives. And again, three specific points of application are identified here in verses 22 to 25. We're to draw near, we're to hold fast, and we're to stir one another up. So let's take some time to think about each one of those. Uh, First, verse 22. Uh, Because of the high priestly sacrificial work of Jesus for us on the cross, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Uh, This exhortation to draw near is an exhortation to draw near to God. Uh, It's specifically connected to the confidence we have of entering into the holy places. Uh, We also saw this language used earlier in Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Chapter 7, verse 25 stresses that we can draw near to God through Jesus since Jesus always lives to make intercession for us. So again, the exhortation here is to draw near to God. And the manner in which we're exhorted to do this is with a true heart in full assurance of faith. That is, we're to draw near to God with a a heart that truly trusts God and in the certainty that our sins really are forgiven by virtue of our faith in Jesus. And then this description here of having our our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Uh, This is imagery that once again harkens back to the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. On that one day of the year, the Day of Atonement, when the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies. He would go in and he would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on on the mercy seat of God. And he would do that in order to to turn away God's wrath so that God could now accept his people. And so just as that that blood that was spilled and and sprinkled purified God's people under the old covenant, Jesus' blood now purifies us under the new covenant. But of course, as we've seen throughout Hebrews, the blood and sacrifice of Jesus is a superior sacrifice. Because Jesus' blood doesn't just purify us on the outside, but it actually purifies our conscience. We saw this back in chapter 9, verse 14, that the blood of Jesus purifies our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And so the author here is saying in chapter 10 that we should draw near to God with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Why? Because the guilt of our sin has been absorbed by Jesus. And therefore, our conscience has no basis now on which to condemn us of evil. Our conscience has no basis now on on which to tell us that we don't belong in God's presence. Our hearts have been sprinkled clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then this reference to our bodies, uh, having been washed with pure water is, I think, a reference to baptism. Uh, baptism, of course, is, is, is the way that you give a visible outward expression of having a heart that's been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. In fact, we're going we're gonna to celebrate a baptism here this morning. And, and part of what that baptism signifies for us is that all of those who put their faith in Jesus are inwardly cleansed and washed of their sin. And baptism is a, is a great picture of that reality. Yeah, so friends, I understand what we're being exhorted to do here. Now, there are two aspects to this particular application, uh, to draw near to God and to do so in this manner, uh, with a heart that's fully set on God, not a heart that's divided in its loyalties, not a heart that's distracted by other things, but a true heart focused on God and that has the full assurance of faith. In other words, God doesn't want you to come into his presence sort of tiptoeing quietly in or or cowering in the corner, afraid of being there. He he wants you to know that you belong there because of Jesus. He wants you to have confidence in in the blood of Jesus. Jesus. And so to draw near to God with a true heart and full assurance of faith is perhaps much more akin to what it's like for a, for a little child to, to joyfully draw near to their father, perhaps even rushing into their father's presence, eager to seek him and to be with him. In fact, I can tell you that one of the great things about being a father is, is when your kids are younger and you come home at the end of the day and you open the door and they come charging down that hallway. That doesn't last forever. But when they're young... They do that, they come charging down the hallway and they're so excited to see you. And their heart is set on you, their, their focus is set on you. And they're not wondering whether they should do that, they're not wondering whether they should be in your presence, oh, they're, they're secure in that relationship. Friends, what a wonderful privilege that we have <laughs> to draw near to God. It's because Jesus is the priest over the house of God that we can draw near. As God's children it's because of the blood of Jesus and so we shouldn't hang back from God Uh, no matter how sinful we may think we are uh, no matter what we've done no matter how much we may feel like we don't belong we we shouldn't hang back but we should draw near to God and we're not being told here that we can can draw near every now and then you know maybe just when the time is right and nor are we being told that we have to do anything special to draw near. There's no sort of hoops and regulations that we have to accomplish in order to draw near. And we're not even being told that we, we may draw near if we, we want to. No, you see, God so wants us to draw near that we're being exhorted to do so. Let us draw near. Friends, please hear that this morning. If you have doubts about whether God loves you, is really committed to you, Please hear and believe his word this morning. He loves you. He wants to have fellowship with you. He wants you to live your life always in his presence. He wants you to be intentional about that, seeking his presence. He wants you to talk to him. He wants you to rely on him and and depend on him and ask him for help. He wants you to delight in him and find joy in him. He wants your heart to to be set fully on him, fully assured and trusting that Jesus has made this possible for you. It's full assurance in Jesus and his cross. And therefore, you see, the cross should actually compel you to draw near to God. So, so, have confidence in Jesus' death for you on the cross. It's, it's full assurance in Jesus. That's what we're after. Full assurance in Jesus. And so, that's the first application. Uh, in the confidence that the blood of Jesus gives us, let us draw near to God with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Second, verse 23. Because of the high priestly sacrificial work of Jesus for us on the cross, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. It's interesting that he doesn't say that we're to hold fast to the confession of our faith, but to the confession of our hope. I don't think we should make too much of that. I think it's just a reminder of how faith and hope are are so intertwined in the Bible. Uh, Some have shown that you might actually define hope as being faith looking forward uh, because they have hope for the future, a hope that God will fulfill the promises he's made to us in Jesus. Well, that in itself is an act of faith. In fact, when we get to chapter 11, faith is defined as being the assurance of things hoped for. And so the Bible here is exhorting us to hold fast to that confession of hope and and not to waver from it at all. And so what is that hope that we have? Well, it's Jesus. Uh, Jesus is our hope. Jesus is the substance of our confession. It's a confession that believes Jesus saves sinners, even sinners like me. It's a confession that believes the cross of Jesus is sufficient to take take away all of my sin, past, present, and future. That is our confession of hope. And we're not to waver from it, but we're to hold fast to it. And notice that the basis for doing so is because God is faithful. God has told us in his word, he's promised us that in this new covenant work of Jesus on the cross that he will remember our sins no more. Which means that you don't have to wake up tomorrow morning, friends, and wonder if you're still forgiven of your sin. You don't have to wake up tomorrow and, and, and tiptoe around God to make sure that he's, he's not in a bad mood or, or whether he still wants you to draw near to him or not. No, he's declared to you that the blood of Jesus covers your sin forever, and that will not change. God is faithful. Christian friends, do you remember the first time that you made that confession of hope and faith and trust in Jesus in your life? Do you remember the first time that you, re- you really made that confession? Uh, I grew up in a Christian home, so I was kind of always surrounded with that kind of confession in my life. It was always kind of just there in the atmosphere of our home. Though I can remember one particular moment, uh, it was a summer when I was a young kid, getting down on my hands and knees, praying beside my, my bed with my grandmother there and asking for the Lord to forgive me of my sin and to be my Lord and my Savior. Maybe that was something similar for you. Maybe it was when you were young. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home and so it's always been there. Maybe for you is was later in life. Maybe it was a very dramatic moment for you. You you made that confession of hope and and faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. Well, friends, whenever it was, what matters now, you see, is that you keep going. (laughs) That's what Hebrews is saying. Keep going. Hold fast. Don't waver. Because Jesus is the only hope that any of us have. His cross, his blood, his his high priestly work. It's, It's our only hope in life and in death. So brothers and sisters, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Third, verse 24. Because of the high priestly work of Jesus for us on the cross, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So that's the third, the third and final point of application there. But I, I think it comes after the other two because this is the help we need if we're going to do the other two. Right? In other words, if we're going to keep drawing near to God with a true heart and full assurance of faith, And if we're going to hold fast to our confession of hope, then you see, we're we're going to need each other to do that. We, We need to help each other. And thus, verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And then how do we do that stirring up kind of work? Well, verse 25, by not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day, that is, the, the day of Jesus, the day of judgment, drawing near. Now, I should be honest with you and say uh, that these verses here are sort of every pastor's dream verses. Because <laughs> if there's one place in the Bible that I can go to say to you, you must gather with the church. <laughs> when we meet on Sunday, you got—you got to gather. This is the place to go to. <laughs> So friends, you must gather with the church. Now, you all are here this morning, so it's like I'm preaching to the choir, but but let it be a reminder to yourself and and share it with others. You know, maybe share it with some of our brothers and sisters who are church members, but who we haven't seen in a while. Call them up, get some coffee with them. Right? Remind them, we need you. We need you here. You need to be here. Don't, don't beat them up. Don't condemn them. Just remind them of what God's word says, of how they need to gather with the church. Uh, we, need, we need each other, and it's the confidence that we have in the blood of Jesus that compels us and, and, and spurs us on this way. Because Jesus is our high priest, we are, we are called to stir each other up to love and good works. And in order to do that stirring up kind of work, what Hebrews is saying is that we need to make sure that we are meeting together. We can't neglect this. And this language of meet together, uh, this isn't just referring to any old meeting together. I mean, you can think of meeting together with other Christians in different contexts, getting coffee together, having lunch together, uh, maybe meeting up in your community groups together. That's all good. That's all relevant and applicable. But actually, this language of meeting together is a little bit more formal language. It's it's referring to the gathering of the whole church. And of course, the way that the church most regularly and, and most fully meets together is on Sunday mornings like this. And therefore, our habit should be to be here on Sunday mornings when the church meets. Okay, so that that doesn't mean we can never miss a gathering of the church. But it does mean that we want to be careful about allowing activities and attitudes into our lives that can cause bad habits to form. So friends, let me me encourage, encourage us to be careful about allowing things into our lives that will create bad habits for us with respect to our church attendance. So for example, I'll try to tread lightly here, but but, but say no to to the sports teams that that meet on Sunday mornings. This is a hard one for my family. But say no to the sports teams that meet on Sunday mornings, thus keeping your your family from being able to, to meet with the church. Or in terms of your job. You know, unless your job is in a hospital, or something equivalent to that kind of mercy emergency work. Say no to, to that job that requires you to, to not gather with the church. Uh, say no to the, to the late Saturday nights that can lead to bad habits on Sunday mornings. Uh, say no to the, to the excuses of, of tiredness and busyness. I mean, we're all tired, we're all busy. But what you don't want to do is to let those realities form in you the bad habit of saying, we're just too tired this morning to gather with the church. That's amazing. You do that once, you do that twice, you'll find how easy it is to do it three, four number of times. I'm just too tired this morning. I got too much to do. I I need to get a a head start on some work for the week. Let it be your habit to meet with the church when it gathers together, particularly when it does so in its fullness like this on Sunday mornings. Now, again, the reason that's so important is because we have a job to do when we meet together. So attend on Sunday mornings, right? Make that your habit, but don't just attend. Uh, Don't just sit there anonymously in the back. Uh, Don't just quietly slip out right afterwards because God has given you a job to do. Our job, part of what it means for us to worship God together is to stir up one another to love and good works. Which means that the gathering of the church isn't simply about listening to a sermon or singing some songs. It's about knowing and loving and encouraging other believers so that both they and you will continue to cling to the cross of Jesus and live lives that honor him. I think sometimes we think of worship as just us kind of coming, sitting here, and we're meeting, and we're singing, and we're praying, and then we leave. Hebrews say, no. A significant part of our worship is what we do in our fellowship with each other, and how we, how we encourage each other and, and stir each other on to loving good works. I love how Greg Gilbert summarizes this. He says, quote, The public gathering of a local church involves more than individuals gathering to hear God's word preached, though it is certainly and crucially about that. It is also about sharing life with other believers who have covenanted to support and encourage one another as Christians. It is in the public gatherings of the church that we pray for one another, weep and rejoice with one another, bear each other's burdens and sorrows, hear the word of God together, and work to apply it to one another's lives. In short, the gathering of the church is the most important time believers have for stirring one another up to love And good works. And friends, this image of stirring one another up is a a wonderful image. Uh, The idea here is that we're meant to to provoke each other, but not in a bad way, in a good way. Uh, We're we're to not let each other grow passive or, or settled in our faith, but we're to encouragingly prod each other. I stir each other up with with continual reminders of what Jesus has done for us on the cross so that the the love and good works we do in response will multiply in our lives to his glory. Friends, that's what the church is all about. And we talk a lot about discipleship here. That's what discipleship is all about. It's being involved in the lives of others and looking out for others and, and initiating conversations, praying for others, asking meaningful questions, really knowing each other. Let me try to give you an illustration. I never talk about the Super Bowl on Super Bowl Sunday, I'm going to this Sunday. Maybe some of you are gonna watch the Super Bowl this this evening. Uh, When you're watching that game being played, I want you to get theological and I want you to think about the church. Okay, Super Bowl church. You're thinking about the church as you're watching the Super Bowl tonight. Because while many people think of the church as being like the crowd of spectators who are all there watching the game, you know, being played by, by the professionals, the, the, the actual image the Bible gives us is that every believer is to be on that field engaged in the action. If there are any spectators around, it's the world. The world is watching the church, right? Everybody who's part of the church is on the field engaged in the action. And if you allow me to extend that analogy even a bit further, what Hebrews verse 24 is saying is that you need to be ready for game day. Now, you need to know the playbook. You need to know who your teammates are. You need to know what their strengths are. You need to know what what their weaknesses are. Because notice that verse 24 is actually exhorting us to consider how to stir one another up. In other words, we're we're to give intentional thought to this. During the week, we're we're to be plotting and and planning and and contriving various ways that we might be able to to be of spiritual help to each other. And so it requires really getting to know people and caring for them and loving them and plotting for their good. And friends, we all need this from each other. Uh, you may think you don't, but on the authority of the word of God, you're wrong. You need this. Every Christian does, and it's not a matter of whether you're an extrovert or an introvert. It's maybe harder for introverts, but introverts need this as well. We all need this because with every day that passes, as verse 25 tells us, the final day of the return of Jesus is drawing near. And so one of the key ways we can stir each other up to love and good works is to remind each other of that final day. So one of the primary purposes of Christians meeting together is to help prepare each other to meet the Lord. That's a huge part of what we're doing when we're meeting together. Because that day, every day day that passes, the day is closer to Jesus coming back. That day is drawing near. And so when we meet together, a large part of our purpose for meeting is to help each other be prepared for that day. When you meet up for coffee, think of it in that way. I'm helping this brother or this sister get prepared for that final day. When you go to your community group, think ahead of time. I'm going there to help my brothers and sisters get prepared for that final day when Jesus comes. We need to remind each other to, to keep trusting in the blood of Jesus. We need to remind each other to keep relying on him as our high priest. We need to remind each other to keep drawing near to God through Jesus. We need to remind each other to keep holding fast to the hope that we have in him. In other words, we need each other to persevere. We're going to make it to that final day. We need each other to persevere. Friends, our aim in life isn't simply to know facts about the cross, but it is to live our lives shaped by it and in response to it. That's what the Apostle Paul was saying when he wrote to the church in Corinth. "I've, I've determined to know nothing when I was there with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because it's the cross that says we can have fellowship with God. It's the cross which reminds us to keep going. It's the cross which spurs us to seek the spiritual good of others. And so friends, you you have three things here that you can immediately do today. Uh, Draw near to God. Delight in Him. Fellowship with Him. Uh, Secondly, with the help of God, resolve to keep holding fast. Ask God for his help with this. If you're struggling with doubt and uncertainty, uh, talk to others about it, pray about it, ask for prayer. And then before you leave here today, uh, be sure to really stir someone up in a good way. Provoke someone today in a good way. Let's pray. Oh Lord, what a delightful thought it is To know that we can draw near to you. That despite our sin, uh, you don't see us as sinners deserving condemnation. But because of Jesus, you see us covered in his righteousness. His blood has purified us and you see us as, as perfect because of him. Gracious Father, thank you for that privilege of drawing near to you. Thank you for your word which commands us to draw near to you. Lord, would you, would you accomplish that in our lives? Would you continue to, to draw us close to you and deepen our fellowship with you? And Father, would you help us to hold fast? Father, help us to not waver. We need your help to do that in this world. And Father, we thank you for the gift of your church. We thank you, Lord, in your wisdom that you have decided and given us the fellowship of your people that we might worship you, and, and in the context of worshiping you, that we might help each other along to your glory. We pray that you would do that work among us. Lord, we do pray for brothers and sisters that we haven't seen in a while. Father, we love them, we care for them, we, we long for them to be regathered with the church. Father, would you help us to know how to reach out to them in a loving way? Uh, would, you, would you draw them back into the fold of your people, that we might worship you together? Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.